Well, if you have a Bible at home, I would invite you to turn to Romans 8. Just to give you a little bit of a preview, we have um, one more sermon, Lord willing, after this in Romans 8, and then we're going to take a little break in light of Christmas and return to our studies sometime um, in the first of the year. So just keep that in mind. In just a second, I'm just going to read what has already been read, but it's just a good way to start. Verse 26 of Romans chapter 8. All right, let's, let's hear the word of God. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Amen. Let's just take a brief moment and pray and just ask God for his blessing. Father, it's a privilege to do what we're going to do to open your word and through the ministry of the Holy Spirit, preach it and understand it. And so we pray to that end that clarity would be given and, and your truth would be proclaimed and we would just see and understand how good and how gracious of a God you are. And we pray this in our Savior's name, the Lord Jesus Christ, who bled and died so that his perfection could be ours through faith. Amen. Well, it's pretty clear that the moment a person is justified by faith in Christ, the moment a person is converted, the Holy Spirit fully enters them. And this is a gracious and remarkable gift from God, and this is basic Christianity. And because it's basic Christianity, it needs to be said often, <clears throat> out loud, and in some contexts, it needs to be said um, and known. Particularly if Christians have been told there's something more of the Spirit they didn't receive when they received Christ... And so they're going to need to do some of this or a little bit of that if more of the Spirit will be granted to them, which is not true. Now, we are told in the Bible to yield to the Spirit, to stay in step with, to not quench, and to test. But that is never out of some deficit of the Spirit. Chapter 8, verse 11, if your Bible's open, the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you. And you see, much of what chapter 8 of Romans has been teaching us is that in our justification, not only are we under no form of condemnation at all, ever, from, from anyone, least of all God, but also the Holy Spirit enters into the Christians with gifts and with graces and with felt assurances, okay? Felt assurances, which is the purpose of chapter 8. So, and this is important. The Bible teaches us that the Holy Spirit is a person, a person who thinks about you and has emotions for you and works for you. Indeed, as we'll see in a moment, the Holy Spirit prays for you. So if you would, have a look down in your Bible. According to verse 2, the Spirit gives you life in Christ Jesus and sets you free once and for all from the law of sin and death. The Spirit does that. Verse 4, the Spirit... And this is being descriptive here, sets the fundamental direction of our life. We live according to the Spirit. Okay, what direction? Well, here's some of that answer in verse 6. The Spirit gives life, the Christian life, and peace 
Verse 11 says, God will raise you from the dead by that same spirit who lives in you. But there's more. Verse 13, the spirit helps you by putting to death the deeds of the body. This is the strength of our sanctification. Excuse me. The Holy Spirit is the strength of that. Verse 14, the Spirit leads us as we are, children of God. Verse 15, 16, assures us, the Spirit does, that we are children of God. Assures us of our salvation and that God is, yeah, God is our Father. Verse 23, the Holy Spirit is the foretaste, a preview, and a guarantee of our final redemption which we groan for. Now that's a lot. And all of these graces and these gifts and these assurances from the Spirit come with the grace of justification. They came with our conversion. So what Paul is saying through all those verses, at the moment we cried out for mercy, you know, God have mercy on me, a sinner, repenting and putting our trust in Jesus Christ and his finished work, he didn't say, okay, great, now you do know the rest is on you. No way. Among other things, he gave us the Holy Spirit in fullness, who Jesus said was our helper. And now here in verse 26, the Spirit helps us by praying for us. So if you'll see in your Bibles there, verse 26, in the same way the Spirit helps us in our weakness, we do not know what we ought to pray for. Now please listen. We're going to say this again, but it's good to know now that Paul does not say when we do not know what to pray for. He just says we do not know what to pray for. And the Spirit himself intercedes through us through those wordless groans. And this is important right up front as we try to understand this because that phrase, in the same way, at the beginning of verse 26, that's a connecting phrase. And what Paul is connecting is this. In the previous verses, he wrote that the Christian has this glorious inheritance and this great blessing that's just waiting for us, verse 17, heirs of God and heirs of uh, co-heirs with Jesus Christ. And so, it's so glorious, he said, that our present sufferings, which are the similar sufferings of Christ, the things that Jesus suffered for the gospel when he walked this earth, you know, sufferings because of the gospel, a life lived for the sake of the gospel, those sufferings are not worth, verse 18, the glory which will be revealed in us. He then adds to that, in the same way that we're waiting for that glory to be revealed, creation has been waiting for this as well. So you have Christians and you have creation waiting for our liberation, complete and full liberation, forever, you know, forever freedom from sin and all its terrible consequences. And then verse 25, we're told that we wait for it patiently. And the idea of patience there has to do that we remain under. In other words, God, by his spirit, enables the believer to remain under the gospel challenges and the gospel difficulties in life and the gospel sufferings and yeah, the gospel ambiguities and our gospel longings. Which is why verse 28 means so much to the Christian. It's not that all things which come to us are to be you know, counted as good. No way. There's a good and there's a bad, but they all work for the good just as they did for Jesus. Now, when you understand it this way, when Paul says in verse 26, in the same way the Holy Spirit helps us, we begin to understand, first of all, why the Spirit's ministry is so vital and so gracious and so effective. Now, in light of this, 
We have four questions that we're going to try to answer. Now, I'm going to give you all four questions, even though we're only going to work on one question this morning. But here are the questions. Why does the Holy Spirit pray for us? Second, how does the Holy Spirit pray for us? Third, what does the Holy Spirit pray for us? And then the conclusion, which we come to because the Holy Spirit prays for us. All right, so... Number one, and this is our interest this morning, why does the Holy Spirit pray for us? And you can see from the text, there are two reasons why the Holy Spirit prays for us. Number one, we are weak. And number two, we don't know. And we'll take them each in turn. So the problems of our prayer here, Paul says, arises from our weakness. And the word weakness here means without the needed strength. If you have a King James Version, it says infirmities frailty. And in the New Testament, weakness can be due to to our limited human nature. This is what Paul says, for example, in chapter 6, verse 19. I'm speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations, your natural weakness. We are naturally weak. And we know our weaknesses in our sickness. I mean, that's obvious. Some of our physical limitations or even our mental limitations. We're not all geniuses, are we? And we know weakness when adversity comes and when hardship comes and when difficulty comes. We know our weakness. But there's more, and this is important. The word weakness here is in the singular and not in the plural, which, which just says and underpins, this is a truth about human beings. We are, by nature, weak. Now, the fact that we are weak is not sinful in and of itself. And that's so important. The fact that we are weak is not sinful in and of itself. So don't think that. And don't, you know, don't let anyone ever tell you that. And that means Sunday by Sunday, we don't gather to be strong so much as we gather to worship and learn, and therein learn to be honest. Weakness is a consequence of the fall. Because there was no weakness in Adam as God made him. However, one of the tragedies of the fall is everyone born after has weakness, lacks power, has disabilities, inabilities as a result of the fall, as a result of Adam's sin. So it could be physical weakness. It could be mental weakness. It could be emotional weakness. And of course, it could be spiritual weakness. Indeed, why would the Holy Spirit be given to us as, and this is one of his titles, the helper If we were not in need, as Christians, of help. Indeed, verse 23, why would we groan inwardly if we were always on the triumphant side of life? You know, if we were always getting everything right and life was so good because we're so strong and so clever that that we never know need. I mean, personally, the longer I'm alive, the more conscious I am aware of my human weakness and the constant overwhelming that I have for God's grace. I mean, I was praying last week and I just blurted it out. I was making a list of the things I was weak on until I said, you know what, God? I think I'm weak in everything. Verse 23, we groan inwardly. We're frustrated with this world, frustrated with ourselves in this world, having those chapter 7, verse 15 I don't understand what I do moments. And we're ready for this to be done. Longing for the next world, which is a mark of a Christian. So, if we were not weak, none of this would make sense. So I want you to know that this idea of weakness is very, very 
Christian. However, in every society, right up to our own strength, or at least imagined strength, has been praised and it has been paraded. And weakness and all its various forms are thought of as some kind of defect that somehow you've missed the best in your life or maybe even missed God because we're weak. And usually they measure it only by the things of time or, you know, or, or, or money or, or human opinion. All the externals of life. All the things which are passing away. And you know, sometimes in response to this, sermons are just essentially work orders. You know, here's your work order. <laughs> this is the work order this week, and this is the work order next week. Now, we know we have work to do, but there's so much more. So it is a mercy if you can feel and know your weakness and let that reality be quite real in you because God will not allow us to stay with this idea that we are strong. Now, we may have that idea, but our Father will correct us in some way. God is in the good, clean business of bankrupting self-reliance. He will not let us find comfort in our personal strength. And that will be good for us, and it will give glory to Him. Question number one, why does the Holy Spirit pray for us? Because we are weak, and we need to ask ourselves, are we going to be okay with that? Are we going to be okay with that? So yes, we need to grow as Christians. But apparently part of our growth is to know that in the context Paul was writing in, we won't go grow past this weakness. And by the way, isn't, isn't to grow in maturity to grow downward? Isn't our growth becoming increasingly aware of our weakness in order that Christ's power may rest on us? I got this from one of my back black books that I keep and I honestly don't know who wrote it but this is what it says God uses chronic weakness along with our other afflictions as this chisel for sculpting our lives felt weakness deepens dependence on Christ for strength each day the weaker we feel the harder we lean and the harder we lean the stronger we grow spiritually even while our bodies waste away to live with your thorn uncomplainingly, that is sweet, patient, and free in heart to love and help others, even though every day you feel weak. That is true sanctification. It is true healing for the Spirit. It is a supreme victory of grace. I don't know if this is helpful, but I kept thinking that sometimes, and it still happens, it happens a lot happened a lot more in the past, but a lot of times when people would come to me for, you know, for Christian counseling or just to, to let me know something, when they were talking, a lot of times I'd be like, oh my, I think, I think I'm the one that needs to be on the couch and they need to be helping me. And I could lose my bearings because apparently they're so strong. But in time, they see that they're weak too. Number one, we are weak. Second reason, why, why does the Holy Spirit pray for us? Verse 26, we don't know what we ought to pray for. No, it doesn't get much better admittedly, but it's okay. And so let's just try to tackle this piece by piece. First, in the Greek, there's an indefinite article in front of the word what. So if you look at your Bible, it would read like this. We don't know the what 
we ought to pray for. Okay, so is that a big deal or not a big deal? I think it's a big deal because, and this is the second thing, that part of verse 26 is written in what is called the aorist middle subjective. And I only tell you those things to help you because what that means, Paul says this is a present action in us or a present truth about us in light of the the circumstances that Paul gives. So think of it like this. When you're reading verse 26 and you are suffering for the sake of the gospel and and you have those longings for your redemption to to be complete and full, those longing for heaven, Paul's saying this truth is projected on you. This is what is true about you. You are weak and we do not know the what we ought to pray for. So, This is not a universal statement on prayer for the Christian. But this is a specific statement about us in prayer in this specific context given. We do not know the what we ought to pray for. And we are never going to know the what we are to pray for. Because, and this is the third thing, please notice, and we've said this before, that Paul doesn't say when we do not know the what we ought to pray for. Now, it's not an accident, but, or maybe that's the wrong word, but we hear that a lot when we don't know what to pray. Paul doesn't say that here. Here he says, we do not know the what we ought to pray for. And so he's not saying when you come to those moments when you don't know what to pray for, the Holy Spirit steps in and prays for us. No, he just says it flat. You do not know what to pray for. Okay, which begs the question, what what is the what? What is that circumstance? Well, again, we've touched on it. So just remember, context, context, context. The context that he's speaking in is that, that the groaning of our inner person, the decaying and, and the futility and the sufferings in this world as we re- wait for the redemption in our bodies. We make gospel decisions and there are sometimes some gospel um, sufferings because of that. I mean, we all know that. We can't do life just like everybody else because of the gospel. Verse 23, we ourselves have the first fruits of the Spirit. We groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. So in verses 18 to 25, Paul's helped us with the Word. And by the Word of God, he's driving this truth home. You are going to have such an inheritance. You're co-heirs with Jesus Christ. It's going to be awesome. Then in verse 26, he says, the Spirit helps us. Okay, when we're inwardly groaning, And our weakness, because we don't know the what we ought to pray for. We're waiting for our redemption. We're suffering for the gospel. So just like the Spirit helps us in our weakness by giving us the word, now the Spirit helps us by praying in accordance with God's will. Because we don't know what to pray for. Something needs to be asked of God And we do not know what it is, but the Spirit does. So again, this is not a win. This is, we do not know. Period. Now, to be even more specific about the what, is we don't know the will of God in those exact moments of our persecutions, 
of our sickness, of our hardship, of our sufferings, of our groanings, of our longings in light of the gospel. We do not know what to pray for in those things. Now, there are some things that we do know to pray for, right? In the Lord's Prayer, God's name to be honored, His kingdom to expand, His will be done down here, just like it's done up there. We pray for our daily bread, forgiveness of our sins, forgiveness extended towards others, protection from sin inwardly and outwardly, things like that. We know what to pray for. But Paul says here, verse 26, again, aorist middle subjective, you do not know the what to pray for in light of those gospel sufferings and your future longings and groanings for heaven. Now, I want you to listen carefully here, and I want you to follow the logic of this. Okay, here's a very, very short list of things I do not know how to do. Okay, I don't know how to roller skate. I don't know how to hunt. I don't know how to build a wall, build a house, grow vegetables, and fix just about anything of of real consequence which breaks in our home. Now, I know this. When I want to know how to roller skate, when I want to know how to hunt, build a wall, build a house, grow vegetables, and, you know, fix something in the house that really matters, I just have to call out some of your names, right? Like the song, I just call out your name, and I know wherever you are, you'll come running, and you might laugh at me, but you'll show me how to do it. You'll point to the thing out there, and you'll say, Joe, that's not a thing. You know, that's an electrical outlet, and it's not magic. It's called electricity. Now, let me help you. Because it's really, really dangerous. And off you go. And you say, turn this and and add that and don't cut that. And then boom, you will show me how to do it. And then in time, I'll learn to do it. But the Holy Spirit, because we are weak, because we don't know the what to pray for, because he is so kind, he's a real friend, he is for us. And all this matters to him. That we matter to him. When sufferings and groanings come because of our gospel allegiance, when we have those great longings for all this to be over with, we are weak and we don't know what to pray. The Holy Spirit himself does not teach us what to pray. The Holy Spirit prays on our behalf in accordance with the will of God. In other words, he's not being our teacher here. He's being our helper And he's being our friend. That is good. So you know the maxim, you know, give a person a fish and and you'll feed them for the day. But, you know, teach them to fish and, and you'll feed them for a lifetime. That is not what is going on here. Here it is because you're weak. And because you don't know. I'm going to pray for you, says the Spirit. So this is not a mistake on the Spirit's part. This is, this is a mercy. This is we are weak. This is we don't know. And this is God wants us to get it right. And we will not get it right unless he intercedes on our behalf. And of course he does. <coughs> so we long to pray for things with great faith. And, and we groan. And we're not sure what God's way will be, you know, when we are weak and we are losing and we are being persecuted and, and we're suffering hardships. And 
For some, that means imprisonment on account of the gospel. And, and as we wait for our redemption, we just don't know. We're weak. And, and, you know, you can see a couple of examples of this in the life of the Apostle Paul. So remember in 2 Corinthians 12, Paul's thorn in the flesh. So he had this great revelation about heaven. And then comes this thorn in the flesh. And as a result, he acts in a very natural uh, way. We all understand this. In comes the thorn, and he prays three times, God, make it go away. God, make it go away. God, make it go away. This hurts. So he thought it was bad. He's going to ask God to remove it, and that will be good. And he does it three times. But obviously, he prayed the wrong thing. Evidently, he did not know what to pray for. He thought he did even as an apostle. So he prayed. However, what did Jesus do? Jesus finally revealed to him that his will was not to take the thorn away. But he said to them, this is the Bible, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness, and therefore I will boast all the more gladly about my weakness, so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weakness, I delight in insults, I delight in hardships, persecution, difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. We could say it like this. When we are weak and we don't know what to pray, we can say it as a boast because the Holy Spirit will pray for us. And so... When Paul leaves that experience, I'm sure he is wondering, you know, every sickness, every pain, every hardship and imprisonment, what is God's will? Right? Healing or, or not healing, thorn or no thorn, deliverance or no deliverance. Indeed, on another occasion, Paul's a prisoner for the sake of the gospel in Rome, and he seemed to, at least for a time, he didn't know what to pray for. This is Philippians 1.22. If I am to live on in the flesh... This will mean fruitful labor for me. But I do not know what to choose. Now that's written seven years after what I just read in 2 Corinthians 12. So you see, he still was weak and he still didn't know. And the Spirit was still glad to pray for him in accordance with God's will. And so Paul goes on, I don't know what to choose. I'm hard pressed for both directions. I have the desire to depart and be with God. That's that redemption. Oh, bring it on, bring it on. That's better for me, yet to remain here in the flesh, that's more necessary for you. Now, this is relevant to many Christians in the church now, for Christians we support in the mission field, and of course, Christians all over the world. How should we pray when we make gospel decisions? And there is inherent suffering in those gospel decisions. Should we pray for safety? Should we pray for escape? Should we stay and pray for protection? Or should we pray for a way to endure? Should we pray for God to get us out of this mess? You see, the Bible says here, we do not know the what we ought to pray for. So John Bunyan, the pastor who wrote Pilgrim's Progress over 300 years ago, he stayed in prison for 12 years because of the gospel. He couldn't have, got, he could have gotten out if he agreed, okay, don't preach the gospel, John, and you can get out of prison. He had a wife. He had four small children. One of them was blind. What was it, an easy decision? 
you know, stay in prison for gospel and conscience sake or get out, not be able to preach the gospel and take care of your family. And remember, he wrote Pilgrim's Progress while he was in prison. And we all face some kind of decisions fairly similar, not as dangerous, probably not. Should I take this risk or should I not? Should I risk my family, my business, the church? You know the song by The Clash, should I stay or should I go? If I go, there will be trouble. If I stay, there will be double. So come on and let me know. Should I stay or should I go? You see? Now, this same John Bunyan who wrote Pilgrim's Progress, by the way, the sixth most popular book ever published of all books, sixth most popular, he also wrote a little book called Advice to Sufferers. And in it, I think he captures what we're learning this morning, the perplexity and the, and the ambiguity that we face in danger or the longings we have for the next world in light of that danger as we live out the gospel in a fallen world. So this is his question. May we, may we try to escape from the danger? Listen to his answer. You may do in this as it is in your heart. If it's in your heart to fly, fly. If it be in your heart to stand, stand. Anything but a denial of the truth. He that flies has warrant to do so. He that stands has warrant to do so. Yes, the same man may both fly and stand as the call and working of God with his heart may be. And then he backs it up with his Bible. Moses fled, Exodus 2.15. Moses stood, Hebrews 11.27. David fled, 1 Samuel 19.12. David stood, 1 Samuel 24.8. Jeremiah fled, Jeremiah 37.11 and 12. Jeremiah stood, Jeremiah 38.17. Christ withdrew himself, Luke 19.10. Christ stood, John 18.1-8. Paul fled, 2 Corinthians 11. Paul stood, Acts chapter 20, verses 20 and 23. There are few rules in this case. The man himself is best able to judge concerning his present strength and what weight this or that argument has upon his heart to stand or fly. Do not fly out of slavish fear, but rather because of flying is an ordinance of God. Open a door for some of escape, which door is opened by God's providence and the escape permitted by God's word. Matthew 10, 23. Now that's, that's very helpful. So Paul's point here is that in your inward groans, in that position of weakness and knowing that we do not know the what we ought to pray, there is something deeper taking place. Now I want to say that again. There is something profoundly deeper taking place. The Spirit, the Holy Spirit prays for you Christian in accordance with God's will. And brings the answer to pass guaranteed. Okay, so this is assurance. Okay, you will not be condemned. And you will arrive safely to your final place of rest. Okay, and again, I hope you know this. Please don't measure God's answer by only the tangible things of time. You know, if, if you do that and think, okay, if good comes, then it must have been good. And if bad comes, you know, it must have been bad. If you do that, then you have to come to the conclusion that Paul must have, or excuse me, God must have hated Paul, and he must have hated his own son, because they lived really, really hard lives on this planet. Therefore, Paul is simply saying, you, you feel very weak because of your suffering, 
because of your decaying, your sickness, your futility or persecutions or your failings or your baffled decisions. You don't know, but don't despair as if God is angry with you or at your inability to know what to do or what to pray for. No, the Holy Spirit is praying for you. I mean, I wrote it in my notes like this. Sit, sit back and rest. Dear saints, rest. I mean, what do you do when you're weak? The number one thing you do is you rest. When you have infirmities, when you're sick, you, you rest. Rest helps. And that's exactly why the Spirit prays for us. So, so let's just end with some applications, okay? Some, some ways that we can apply this. Number one, take heart that you are not expected to know the will of God in every aspect of your life. I mean, yeah, there's the revealed will of his scripture, certainly, but whether to trust him to deliverance from hardship or persecution, to stay or to go, you do not always know. And the text says it's okay not to know because there is one who does know. And he is praying to the one who knows? The Spirit praying the way we ought, we ought to pray or should be prayed to God. So don't add to your worries that you don't know all the will of God in your life. Rest that you don't know. Make it your boast. I don't know. I don't know. I am weak, but the Spirit prays for me. Secondly, Take heart that in your groanings and the, and the tension of the now of life and the not yet of heaven, you're not being watched and being judged, but you are being understood and you are being loved by your Father. You're being helped here. You're being prayed for by the Holy Spirit. Loved ones, with Christ, you never need to fear rejection, especially as a Christian if you get things wrong. We've all rejected God in various ways, but that has not prevented God from carrying out his plan for our life. I mean, justification means God is for you, not against you. Listen, listen to John Knox. What, what do you think? That God's goodness, his mercy, and grace can be overcome by your iniquities? Will God, who cannot be a liar, not accomplish his purposes because you are a sinner? You're not being watched and judged. You're being understood. And you're being loved. And you're being prayed for. Three, take heart that God's will for you is not limited to what you can understand and express to God in words. Now that's important. You're not we are not sometimes able to think and to express things correctly, especially in times of stress. And this passage tells me and tells us what we do not know what to say to God is not the limit of God acting on our behalf. I'm going to say it again. What we do not know to say to God is not the limit of God acting on your behalf. I've been a Christian forever. 
That is so good to know. Four, take heart that God the Father hears the prayers of the Spirit and that this prayer is for you and it's always heard and it's always answered. God the Father does not reject the prayers of God the Spirit. That means we really, really have to think careful about our life, don't we? Some things that we might count as bad, in time, probably not until the other side of heaven, we'll know them as good. And I think it's fair to say that that's how crucial gospel expansion in you is to God. That's how crucial your life is to God towards that good end. That it's so important to God that the Holy Spirit prays for us because we're weak. We don't know the what to pray for. That's never going to change when the suffering comes for Jesus' sake and the longings for heaven come. And so we need help to see God's will done in our life. And we have that help, Paul says. He assures us of that help in the intercessory ministry of the Holy Spirit. Our time is done. Here's what I have in my notes. Let's go home and take a nap. Let's rest. Now, you know there's nobody here, so you're already home. Hopefully, you're not asleep. But we can rest in this truth. Oh, love, that will not let me go. I rest my weary soul in thee. Thank you for your attention. Let's pray. God and Father, this is such good news. It seems like in every corner we turn, we are inundated with what we should do and what we should know and how we have to grow and be stronger and all those things. And this tells me that the healthiest state of a Christian is to be empty of self, to never find comfort in our personal strength, and to remain weak and dependent on you, the living God, for supply, for support, for everything to be poor in self and to be rich in Jesus Christ. So what Paul said to Timothy, we we say to each other and we make it a prayer, "You, you, my child, be strong through the grace that God gives in Jesus Christ. And Father, may we genuinely be able to rest knowing that we have the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit, because we're weak, because we don't know the what, it doesn't matter. His ministry is vital, his ministry is effective, and his ministry is taking place even now. Now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord cause his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. And may the Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. For Jesus' sake we ask these things. Amen.